Rethos, this is Rolls, the 5e D&D podcast where we go to many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about pets. Nathan, what is a pet? A pet is a small animal that you hold hostage and feed. <laughs> Uh-huh. And people pay you money to get back their pet. What? It's you, you take a pet, you kidnap it, and then you wait for them to go. Hey, hey, hey where's where's Foofy? <sighs> and then you'd be like, Hey, I I found him. And then they're like, Hey, I'll give you two dollars, two hundred dollars. So on the one hand, just fuck you for putting those words down in recording. But on the other hand, at least that is normal Nathan talk, and we are officially ending your streak of being helpful that really creeped me out last week. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, I'm actually just going to go ahead and quote Wikipedia because I actually particularly like the way that they phrased the definition. A pet or companion animal is an animal kept primarily for a person's company or entertainment rather than as a working animal, livestock, or laboratory animal. Popular pets are often considered to have attractive appearances, intelligence, and relatable personalities, but some pets may be taken in on an altruistic basis, such as a stray animal, and accepted by the owner regardless of these characters. Yeah, way to go, Wikipedia. That's a very, very well-phrased definition. So, we are talking specifically about having an a pet in a D&D game. And again, pet. We are not talking about battle companions. That is a separate category that will that is already on our list to be a separate episode at some point in the future. So, all that being said, Nathan, how much do you think that having an animal as a pet is talked about in D&D books? I suppose it happens. Yeah, and honestly, probably a lot more than however much you would think. There is actually a lot of mentions of pets. And just for funsies, can you guess what my favorite one is? Or favorite mention of a pet? A a a gazer. Whoa. (laughs) I would love to have a pet gazer. But in this particular instance, that's not where I was going. Because a gazer is a familiar, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But I'm talking just a flat out pet without any kind of like bond like a familiar would have. Hmm. No idea. Dragon? So... I love dragons, but dragons are not exactly a typical pet. But tell me, so the Xanathar of Xanathar's Guide to Everything fame is a beholder with an obsessive love of his goldfish. Fish, exactly. So canonically, these Xanathar, the fucking Xanathar of the Xanathar's Guild of Xanathar's Guide to Everything fame, has a pet goldfish, and I find that to be very funny. But honestly, that is just one that amuses me. And there's not honestly a whole lot talking about it. There is mention of like the statistics of the pet fish. And it's it's a fish. It mentions that it has the stat block of a quipper, which is like one hit point. It's a fish. Anyway, besides that, there's a couple of backgrounds that give a pet of some sort. Like an urchin is usually described as having a pet mouse, although not exactly surprised. Surprising to me, but interesting though. How, considering how often someone does take the urchin background, and it is one of the more popular backgrounds for certain, how often do you actually have any character mention the fact that they have a pet mouse? <laughs> I don't remember hearing this ever. 
Like, like th this is new information. <laughs> yeah. L like, here's a funny thing, right? You, you could have the rat go, like, crawl about, and then you could say, Second boy! And then the, you just have the rat crawling all over them, and then the guy accidentally, like, like squeak, stamps squeak. on the rat, and it dies. But, but that's the fun of having a rat. Uh... <sighs> yeah, somehow I'm not surprised that, of course, that's the way you would take such a thing. Like, like can you imagine the, the horror of someone? It's just like, they have this rat crawling all over and then they're writhing on the ground. <laughs> just, you happen to just have someone with a fear of mice or rats. We need uh... that thing where, where, where someone, like, get, gets eaten alive by, like, a power of rat. It just, rat just, just goes all over them and then... Like nibbles on them to death. Oh Jesus! <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> but yeah, like I know that the urchin does. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Ravnica also had a second one. Uh, yeah, the Golgari agent also is able to have a uh, pet beetle or spider as one of their things. So it's interesting that like there are certain backgrounds where like it would make sense for someone to have had to have had or to have a pet of some kind, and yet that almost never comes up which is interesting because like in our world how common would you say pets are uh f fairly common like i don't have a pet but like a lot of the people i know do have one it feels like anyways all right well according to the 2020 uh national pet owners survey conducted by the american pet products association 85 million families in the u.s so 67 percent of u.s households have a pet 60 percent 67 percent so two-thirds holy shit that's a lot americans are nuts about pets why get a pet I don't know. I'm part of the 33%. It's a thing that you pay hundreds of dollars in medical care for. See, that's actually one thing that it makes it more acceptable to me in D&D. Because in D&D, you have magic healing that is potentially way more accessible. Like, I, I get it, right? You, you have a pet, and, it, and it's cute and all, but you have, like, a, a lot of money on its food, and, like... I, from what I hear, the healthcare is like insane. It's like, bro, mm -hmm. with that kind of money, you could, you could get like um, uh, all, all sorts of things done, like uh, uh, braces, sure. But again, D and D world. No, no braces. Yeah, you probably wouldn't need braces in a D and D world. <laughs> Eyes would probably not just deteriorate like, unless they're bing, so a boom. Your teeth are shiny and cool. Yep, no gingivitis, no cavities. No blindness, it's great. No blindness. It's all with second level spells at worst for, you know, the non-magical issues. Your dog can have two tails. I mean, also true, yeah. Yeah, we are. there's definitely a lot more interesting creatures in a D&D &D world that might potentially be a pet. But anyway, uh, again, as is often the case, you are skipping ahead a lot. So... I'm curious, what would you consider the line of what would be acceptable to have as a pet in a D&D game? Honestly, you, you can have a pet human and I don't care. <laughs> Jeez. His name can be Tim, and you can hit him. I, I have no issue uh, with this. This, this. this is great. Ugh. We have a horse that gets abused on this show, and everyone loves it. Cute. <laughs> 
Okay, I'm just going to disregard that a bit. And I'm just going to pull a few mentions from various adventures and just from the existing D&D canon of 5th edition only of just where they use the word pet. So starting just at the bottom, uh, of course, Xanathar's pet fish is just a fish. However, in Rime of the Frost Maiden, there is a person with a pet saber-toothed tiger, which is a CR2 creature, so rather more powerful. Uh, let's see. In Dungeon of the Mad Mage, we've also got... Wait, no, it wasn't uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Tomb of Annihilation, excuse me. There's a person who's trying to tame a Hydra as a pet. So that is uh, rather more as a CR8 creature. Hydra, yay! So, yeah, there's not exactly a lot of hard and fast rules as what you are able to have as a pet. So the difference of where I would define a pet versus, you know, potential other things is just like, do you have this thing trained to fight with you? Well, actually, you know what? Looking over the actual character sheet on my screen here for the pet saber-toothed tiger, fuck what I said earlier. I was putting a line between having things that fight with you or not, but the books don't, so I shouldn't. So fuck it, we're going to talk about all of it. Hey. So, how could one go about getting a pet? Um, you go to the pet store. Correct! That would be the first way. And fun fact, in Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there is a pet store. Ayyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyyy
or just like something like a dragon egg or something that you're sending some new party off to collect for you. And honestly, that's something that I think could make a pretty neat adventure from either side. Either your adventurer, like you have a more established group, let's say, and you're hiring a group of newbies to just like go off and deal with a thing while your characters are actually otherwise occupied and just can afford to just throw gold at a problem. Or from the other side of just like that's how you're introducing a new game of just okay this is just a quest that we're going on it's just some you know crazy rich person has just like said okay if you can get your hands on a dragon egg you know still alive and in good condition then you will get you know dot 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 amount of gold here so that's where things can get a little bit more fuzzy because how do you charge for just odd beings and creatures and things like that like things do get a little bit weird there so actually just to throw back to you for a moment nathan how would you decide to like price different powered creatures i would say depending on how powerful the pet or, or how rare the pet is you, you can use that to price uh price the pet yeah but the thing that gets irksome, there are a few things that actually do have prices. So I'm just curious, just with your advanced knowledge of the books, can you name any of the creatures that do have a price? Well, I would say the, uh, a fucking, uh, the, the a pet, a pet dog. Yeah. Correct. So there is indeed a Mastiff that is given statistics as well as a price. So a Mastiff is a medium-sized creature, so it's in the same size category as a person. So that is a massive dog. So what's interesting, too, is that there is also specific description for them that says that they can be trained as guard dogs, hunting dogs, and war dogs, and the fact that halflings and small creatures are able to ride them as a mount. So this is a creature that is also only a one-eighth challenge rating, though, but is explicitly trainable. But they also have a rather low price. A Mastiff only costs 25 gold, which is really not bad. So to just go through some of the other things that have prices, of course, you know, horses, there are various types. You know, you've got the draft horse, riding horse, yada, yada, yada. You know, so the typical riding horse is 75 gold. Uh, huh, interesting. So I just found one that I actually didn't know about previously. There's also a sled dog that has a stat block now that is uh, 50 gold. So that is also a pretty well-trained dog. It also gets a little bit funny up to higher ends of things. They have elephants listed in the mount category. How much do you think it costs for an elephant in gold? Eight hundo. Nope, less. F five hundo. Less. F four hundo. Less. One hundo. More. T two hundo. Yep, correct. Hey, took took me five tries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but honestly, that's astounding to me because 200 gold is really not that much. So this is one of those situations where I think it's pretty apparent that most players don't know about that fact, because if I were a player that wanted to buy a mount, you bet your ass I would want to buy an elephant. That'd be hilarious. But just because I am a special kind of asshole, Nathan, what is the other circumstance in which I mention elephants a lot? 
yes. You you get powers in the real world and go on a murdering spree. Correct. The thing is, in D&D, you can just buy elephants, apparently, if you go to the right place, I would suppose. So that is interesting to me because, of course, the way that my brain works, I immediately think, so wait a minute then, could I just buy elephants to just power level? So how easy or difficult do you think that that would be? Fairly easy. (laughs) So just because I do think that thinking of math for that is very funny. How many elephants do you think that it would take to get from starting out to level 20? Many. How many is many? A a bajillion. Uh, no, no, I'm afraid it's actually considerably easier than bajillion. 500. Less. Whoa, holy shit. (laughs) 50. Okay, so playing hot or cold would take a long time for this. It would take 323 elephants just going purely by rules as written. Because an elephant is a CR4 creature, so something that grants 1100 XP. Which is funny, because that also then means that, like, an elephant would almost take you to level 3 if you just were able to kill a single one. But on the other hand, a single elephant does have 78 hit points, so it would actually be rather difficult. So there's a good chance that there's, like, some rich asshole level one that just gets stomped to death by an elephant. And that's kind of funny. That's the kind of thing that, like, I think should be, like, a tale of caution in the AD&D world of, like, a good reason of why more people don't try to do this because you just have the, the tale of just the idiot who just got, like, stomped to death by an elephant when they tried to win by money. But anyway, theoretically, though, if you had someone with a good setup and plan, it would only take 323 elephants to go to level 20. So if you consider also, okay, 200 gold each, that's only 64,600 gold, which to be fair is a pretty solid number, but that's really not that much if you consider how powerful a level 20 individual would become. So if you were just someone who lived in an environment that just had a fuck ton of elephants, I mean, that would kind of be worth it. So, like, imagine just, like, that there are just herds of elephants that are just bred for, like, the various kingdoms in your D&D world that is literally just like, okay, um, according to the rules that we have made up, kings are supposed to be pretty powerful. So all kings, upon, you know, getting the divine right to wear the crown, has to come to this reservation and kill 300 elephants. Like, that's ridiculous, but also kind of hilarious to me. Anyway, I'm sorry, that is one hell of a tangent. Um, sorry. Uh, where was I? Uh, pets. Oh, shit. That's what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, okay. So anyway, as far as I can tell, elephant is the highest thing that actually does have a price. So the problem comes in the fact that there is no pattern or or formula that works across, you know, the various creatures that exist. So elephant is a CR4. So maybe you could treat it as like 50 gold per CR. But then that just gets way too cheap for other creatures that exist. So that doesn't really work. 
So this is one of those things that I do highly suggest just putting some thought into and just coming up with a formula of your own just for different creatures. Like, is a beast going to cost the same as a monstrosity? Or, you know, are you even going to have, like, aberrations available for sale? Or would that be, you know, the equivalent of an illegal pet of some sort? There is no one answer on how you might choose to use that in your world. But again, this is something that is worth some consideration. And just because, again, it's funny to me. Nathan, what do you think that I did? <laughs> what you normally do. <laughs> uh-huh. But how? Charts. Yeah! I have an Excel spreadsheet with modifier based on CR, based on uh, type, you know, beast, aberration, all that good stuff. And also just a couple of other potential modifiers just based on usefulness of other traits. So as an example, can you see why a creature like a troll or a hydra might be more valuable? Many heads. Many heads. So there was a joke. I don't know if it's just a picture or if they actually did make the full comic strip. But uh, there was just like a small town that just makes their living off of keeping the fucking Tarrasque subdued and just taking advantage of regeneration to just have an infinite source of meat. And technically, an argument could be made that, you know, someone could do such for any creature that has a form of regeneration. So a Hydra with its regrowing heads, a troll with its regeneration... Although this is one that I think that you, Nathan, would enjoy the morality question of what would be the morality of a troll, which is a sentient creature being used as a meat supply? It sounds perfectly ethical, perfectly on board. Everything's perfectly above board. It's all good. <sighs> I, I can't see how anyone would have an issue with this. Like They're less than people, honestly. Right. On the other hand, I think that it might actually be a rather interesting twist on that, like to actually have the troll be there willing and just like the troll itself is just fed, you know, lots of other foods and it it like it regenerates. So having a troll willing to just constantly like get like one arm and both legs continually just chopped off just to just source the meat for some place. Because one of the weird things about regeneration in D by D&D &D rules is the fact that it doesn't really have any kind of limit or resource that it draws on. Like, it doesn't matter if there's like an anti-magic field. It doesn't matter if there is just continuous damage over some long period of time. A troll regenerates. That's just their shtick. And whether you decide to actually put some kind of limit on it or just shrug and just say magic gave them a really, really fucking weird biology, then that's OK. And so you can't just have just troll steak, just be a local delicacy at some point. But on the other hand, that would also mean that like getting control of a troll would be a very valuable proposition. But again, sentient creatures aren't really pets. And I just accidentally tangented again. My apologies. So uh, the point that I was trying to make, though, is the fact that there are going to be variations on just what affects the price of creatures. So I really do suggest just making some chart of your own. Just buy, just have like a generic one of just like CR, 
you know, one through 20 or so. Because again, if you're trying to just buy a creature higher than CR 20, like that shouldn't just go by a standard price chart anyway, because that's getting into ridiculous territory. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But anyway, but having just like zero CR up to around 20 CR and then just have just like low, medium, high price. So instead of just having, you know, the categories and all the variables that I make use of, just have low, medium, high and just keep it that. Well, simple is the wrong word, but less complicated than I do. And like good enough is good enough. And that's fine because then you can just have a chart where you can just glance and like just, okay, yeah. So if I am just going for just like a CR zero normal creature, then I can just have an idea of, okay, yeah, that is just something that is readily available. I could probably buy it relatively easily. And of course, the fact that I did mention that there was the actual pet shop existing so I can know, okay, yeah, like theoretically, if you just did want to get like a rat, like, okay, yeah, that's only going to be a few copper because it's a goddamn rat. But if you did want to have something a little more interesting, that might be a few silver and then potentially even up to a few gold if you're really getting something, you know, weak, but nice and fancy. Because just looking at our world, like how much does a high end pet cost? Probably like 10, 20 gold. I meant in our world. Oh, in our world? Well, uh, like, like, uh, thousands, right? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, I, no, I'm laughing because I Googled it and just the website that came up with the answer is wealthygorilla.com. And that's just very funny to me. But uh, apparently, in our world, you can buy tiger cubs for only $2,500 US. So in D&D terms, 25 gold for a tiger cub. Okay, that actually makes some sense. But if you do scroll to just the ridiculous end of things, so I'm going to actually exclude horses because horse prices are just ridiculous in our world. If you think like, you know, racehorses, thoroughbreds, all that kind of bullshit, it gets into the millions and I just don't want to. So the most expensive pet oh that doesn't count (laughs) 
So according to this chart, the most expensive dog was $16 million, but that's because it's a fucking cloned dog of a previous. So that's just cheating. Clones shouldn't be on this list to count. So anyway, ooh, okay. A white lion cub is apparently something that you can buy for $140,000. So in D&D terms, that's something that would be around 1,400 gold to have a rare like coloration of lion cub. So that actually sounds pretty much perfect to me because yeah that does line up then that okay yeah you have you know different rarities you have you know different combat potential of creatures so okay so that seems about right so something that could be a potential combat trained animal you get it at a cub to try to raise it and you know have it connect to you so yeah so thinking of building your chart just using some real world correlations is one way that i would suggest on like how to build such a chart for your own use that being said nathan what else can you do to give yourself an animal besides just buying one tame one like how else can you get yeah tame one so how would you tame an animal beef jerky yay uh what if they're herbivores uh beef jerky yay (laughs) and this is why it's a good thing nathan does not have a pet but but in all seriousness uh-huh. No, not beef jerky. <laughs> no. Again, in D&D, what would you do to try to tame an animal? Um, the animal friendship check. <laughs> is that what that skill is called? Yeah. <laughs> Nathan. Animal handling. Wrong. W- wait, is it not? This is the one that everyone uses for it, but that's not what the skill actually says. So what it actually says in the description of the skill is to calm down a domesticated animal, keep a mount from getting spooked, or intuit an animal's intentions. It says nothing about wild animals, and yet everyone uses it for that, which is very funny also. So with that being said, what would you actually do? Um, you can beat them to near death, then threaten them with violence. For some reason, I was really expecting you to say throw a Pokeball at it. You can do that too. <laughs> and actually, you know what? Fuck it. I said it as a joke, but nah. D&D has a fuck ton of magic. If you want there to be Pokeballs to let you capture a beaten down creature, you can do that. I'm sure that there's already homebrew out there that is just like a capture sphere or some or some kind of bullshit like that. I would put money that if I just searched that on D&D Beyond, I would find such a thing. And just because I am curious and I also just do have faith in just the copy paste nature of the Internet, I'm searching that right now. Ball of capture, capture ball, capture cube. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them. i fucking knew it that did not take long orb of capture lesser ball of capture (laughs) i fucking knew it uh thank you internet for proving me right oh man that that makes me very happy oh man that's hilarious 
you know, I actually kind of like the DC, the uh, the what the way that they did this for some of these. Basically, you have to make a DC that is harder, the less beaten down the creature it, or the creature has to make a saving throw to not get captured by the sphere based on how injured it is. Oh, my goodness. That is hilarious. I love that. All right. I'm actually probably going to incorporate this for my own use. Uh, um, anyway, sorry, folks. Uh, <laughs> back on topic. Words proper. OK, so most people do typically capture creatures or tame them via animal handling checks. Is there anything wrong with just saying, OK, fine, they can do it that way. That's not how the skill is described. But is there a problem with allowing it to be used that way? Not at all. Uh, says the person who did just that but there are some relatively common complaints or issues when that is brought up as a topic so the first being how easy or difficult is it to tame a creature and just how tamed is tame because most people of our generation living in just developed nations don't have any fucking clue how animal taming works so it is incredibly common in D games that i play in to see a check and then we have a new wolf friend and weirdly enough it is commonly a wolf friend it is not just nathan who had that happen to but what is fair, what is reasonable, and what is going too far? Because something that a lot of people don't like to think about is exactly where that line is between wild animal, domesticated animal, pet, and that is a much fuzzier line than most people think. Um, I don't remember. Uh, oh, Siegfried and Roy. That was the name. Nathan, have you ever heard of them? No. Famous Vegas performers. Uh, had a lot of animals and tigers particularly as part of their act. Still nothing? Nope, never heard anything. I'm not from America. Okay. Also, I'm very uncultured, so yeah. That's very, very true. So, yeah, they are pretty famous, like magicians, you know, in Las Vegas for years and years and years. But, uh, well, they worked with these tigers for many, many years, raised them from cubs. Guess what happened? Somebody was eaten alive. Yay. On video. Wait, seriously? Attacked by a tiger on video. Fuck. Yeah. And this is, again, worked with them for years. But tigers aren't a domesticated species. Like, the transition of dogs to wolf, or you know what I mean, from wolf to dogs, took thousands of years of selective breeding and training to have like the less aggressive traits to have just the traits for the various breeds of dog that we turned wolves into and that has not been done for tigers like yes we do have house cats that are just you know a version that of that that has taken place but tigers are still tigers so even if you do take a baby animal and you know raise it and feed it yada 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 there's still a risk of this and that is something that most people just don't understand and in D&D never ever touch on because that seems like an asshole thing to do to have like some kind of hidden chance of an animal just snapping. I mean, I don't know if it would be very cool for Natessa to suddenly be like, hey, you know what's up? I'm gonna bite Yosefi in the ass. Like, it's one of those things that there are some DMs who might think like, okay, 
like it's a persuasion check to convince them to do anything or you have to have them roll a saving throw to listen to the command of the pet's new owner but that's just a level of micromanaging that just sounds exhausting and just not fucking worth the effort so even though there is some level of realism in trying to keep track of like how well is the creature listening to you this is absolutely one of those situations where even i say more is not better if you want to say this is a magic world if you can just do the kinds of crazy shit that adventurers get up to, then to just say, okay, maybe you are able to actually establish an empathic bond where you can actually have the creature feel that this person means them no harm and means to, you know, have them be a friend and to feed them, yada, yada, yada. Like, you can just lean into that kind of magic bullshit and just never worry about it. And that's okay. This is one of those times where you don't want to overthink things. You don't want to add more effort for yourself as the DM, for the players trying to do it. However, doing a single animal handling check is also a bit too easy. So Nathan, is there some form of middle ground between a check every time and a single check to get a result? A skill check challenge. Whoa. There is the skill check challenge. So this is one of those things that is a situation where I'd say it's actually a pretty good time to make use of something like that, because you might say, OK, the single check might be enough for the creature to not instantly attack you and your party anymore, as long as you leave it alone and feed it. But what kind of timeline would make sense for a skill check challenge to establish how helpful this creature might be? N no idea. Me neither. And that's kind of the point. Things are different. Worlds are different. Magic is different. Rules can be different. Do what feels appropriate for the situation and just how things work in your world. If you have a dire wolf attack the party and you kill two out of three and then just decide, I want this last one to be my friend, this is a creature that just watched its pack die and now you're trying to say you want this last one to be your friend? That should be hard. Um, have you heard of Stockholm Syndrome? Yes, and it's real. I'm actually getting there soon. <laughs> Wait, that was the wrong tone to say that sentence. Anyway. It's like, oh, Remy has Stockholm Syndrome. Oh my. I mean, yeah. But anyway, Wolf, having a single animal handling check to calm down, I will not say would be impossible. I will say it should be really fucking hard. Like, that's the kind of thing that, okay, a dire wolf is still not a particularly powerful creature. It's like CR1 or some such. So having it be something like a DC of, like, 20. It is something that, unless you are really, really good with animal handling, should be very difficult. So someone untrained would need to roll a 20 to have it succeed. So not impossible, but they would need to get that natural 20. But then someone who is trained in animal handling still will have maybe a 25% chance of success because it should be hard. But at the same time, you are making it possible, which to me sounds like a fair way to go about it, to be able to tell your player, I'm not saying no, but this is hard. And you can even say, here's the difficulty you're aiming for. Good luck. 
because I am not a DM versus players kind of guy. But at the same time, I don't want to give them everything on a silver platter either. There must be difficulty involved in any given scenario. So with that in mind, to give them the opportunity to roll and to take, you know, to make a friend of this creature, okay. But then again, to actually see how well-trained is it? How well can you communicate? How well do you and this creature understand each other? That's something that should take some time. And that is something that should take more than a single roll for certain. So that's why having there be a few checks done over time to see how well do you and this creature understand one another does the creature just i'm hungry i will attack the nearest source of meat or do they understand no no my friend will feed me if i you know do something to let them know that i am hungry like if i oh i know i will tackle him i will bare my teeth and then I will take a step back and lick my lips. That's how I'll let them know I'm hungry. Like, what is the animal? Like, how smart is the animal? What are they able to do to convey, I want food? So without some kind of magical connection to be able to communicate such things, like, it shouldn't be easy. So having multiple animal handling checks across some amount of time, and again, whatever you think is appropriate. It could just be maybe three checks, just like one each session, just like, okay, if they pass two out of three, then that's good enough. And if you do pass three out of three, then okay, this is something that like they're on the same page and they're able to communicate pretty well with one another. Cool. But then if it is no successes or a zero out of three, then you have a dire wolf that uh, is not under any form of control or taming and good luck full initiative like or maybe you want it to be a little bit harder and you have you know five checks over a few sessions okay like i wouldn't go more than seven because then again it becomes just something difficult to keep track of but more than one less than 10 for sure just somewhere in there depending on like how smart the creature is what circumstances you met it at just multiple checks to just figure out okay how much are they on the same page but I do want to now draw attention to one important sentence I said there. Without magic. However, we're playing D&D. There's all kinds of magic in this world. And that's just going by rules as written. So with that in mind, Nathan, what magical methods are there that might help someone procure a pet? Find steed. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Absolutely. That's a fantastic spell. However, what is the big flaw of that spell? It's limited to something you can ride. Well, you're forgetting something even more fundamental to the spell. It disappears? I don't know. It's a paladin spell. Oh, right. Only paladins naturally have that spell. So if you're trying to just, like, have a pet, that's not actually as useful. However, the spell itself is amazing. And something that a lot of people forget is that you can create new magic items. So having a magic item to let the caster cast Fine Steed would be awesome. So quick refresher on Fine Steed, although, of course, we do have a lot more on that in that episode. You are able to summon a creature that 
has an intelligence of six, understands a language that you speak, can serve as a mount in and out of combat, and it also has a bond that allows you guys to understand one another and fight together. So as you were saying, it does have a limit in that it has a restriction on how strong the creature can be. Like the way that the spell itself is actually phrased, it specifies five creatures, a warhorse, a pony, a camel, an elk, and a mastiff. So that is a limit. So Warhorse is the strongest creature there of a one half CR. On the other hand, depending on how magic works in your world, what would be your opinion, Nathan, on reskinning Feinsteed into a new spell, Fine Pet? That'd be really fucking cool. And what's arguably even better about the spell is that it doesn't have a normal duration. So it is an instantaneous spell, which means that once the creature is created or summoned, it just is there. Which is amazing because also when you do cast the spell again, you're able to bring back the same creature. So you can like have any creature up to a one half CR. And then if something bad should happen about it or happen to it, rather, then you can just get your pet back just by summoning. So you don't have to really worry about medical issues. You don't have to worry about if it should, you know, fall in battle. Like if it is like if you do prefer having like the mount, if something bad were to happen to your horse. So adventurers having some version of this magic item would be an amazing asset, but also just children would just do incredibly well by having some version of this uh, to backtrack a little bit. There is one weaker version that does exist that is somewhat similar. Uh, Nathan, do you know what that spell is? No, no idea. Find Familiar. So Find Familiar, in comparison to Find Steed's second level spell, Find Familiar is a first level spell. So the downside to that, though, is that it is wizard only. And that spell has a 10 gold cost of material component that gets consumed. Nathan, do you know of any way to mitigate that cost for the material component? Uh, Spell casting component pouch. I don't know. For a consumable material component. No, can't remember. So if you do create a magic item that is able to cast a spell, magic items have different rules than spell casting by a person. A magic item that is able to cast a spell can be made to not require that component. That is one of the massive benefits of taking the cost of creating a magic item in the first place is because the rules change and you can tweak how magic works. And this is by rules as written. This is not anything homebrew in terms of how magic items work. So with that being said, Find Familiar is able to summon a whole lot of creatures like bat, cat, crab, frog. And honestly, there's like a dozen. I'm not just going to read the whole list. But hey, cat, that's a pet. Hey, frog, there are people that have pet frogs. There's all kinds of stuff on this list that are pets. And that's amazing. But what's also cool, uh, one extra thing with the Find Familiar spell is the fact that it always obeys your commands. So having a pet that listens to you, that is a massive benefit. Plus the fact that a familiar you can communicate with telepathically. Could you imagine how happy a child would be to have a pet cat that had to listen to them, that they could communicate telepathically with, that could also get dismissed into a goddamn pocket dimension when they don't want to play with it. Familiars are awesome. That sounds cool. 
It's really, really cool. So having something like that for a pet, and again, the fact that you can dismiss it into a pocket dimension, would also be a fantastic explanation for adventurers as to why their familiars aren't seen while you're in combat. Because they're tucked away safely while you're dealing with the dangerous shit, and then you can just play with it when it's safe, or just as you're walking down the road. So having a magic item that can cast Find Familiar is arguably even better just because of the particularities of that spell. So I'm curious, Nathan, just what is your opinion on adventurers having a pet in general? It's very fun, very ethical, and everyone should have one. <sighs> in other words, Nathan is the asshole DM who wants to have targets to make your adventurers feel pain because Nathan's an asshole like that. But in all seriousness, adventurers are people who travel to unfamiliar places, often getting into crazy levels of danger all the time. Letting them have something cute and fuzzy and familiar to let them have this little creature to grant them comfort in between the dangerous things that they do could be just a very interesting roleplay opportunity to just show the more human side of these people. So whether it is through just buying one, training one, or through more magical means, allowing adventurers to have a pet is a simple way to make your adventurers a little more human. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.